you don't have to be perfectly healed to reach out, to help others, to be a voice. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. Hello, friends, and welcome to my Altered Stories Episode 10 show, Kelly's Story. Thanks for listening to my show. I hope you enjoy listening to today's featured guest, Kelly Patterson, and her amazing human trafficking survivor God story. I know her story will rock your world. Also, for those of you listening to my show for the first time, let me introduce myself. My name is Michelle Renee Gutch, also known as Michelle Saunders Gutch, host and founder of Altered Stories Ministry. I'm passionate about helping Christian women share their God stories so women across the world can hear them and be encouraged in their struggles, faith, or be emotionally healed or brought into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get started with this awesome show, I'd like to extend a special thank you to Debbie and Doug Heck from Rapid City, South Dakota, for their financial contribution towards this podcast. Now, Let's go ahead and get this show started. There's a lot that I need to share about Kelly. First, here's what you need to know about her. Not only is she a human trafficking survivor, she's a pastor, speaker, author, and consultant. She's a tireless advocate for the downtrodden and misunderstood. She has survived the unsurvivable by God's grace and is part of the 1% of human trafficking victims who survive. She desires to be an aid in freeing those wounded from the effects of sexual abuse, sexual assault, and sex trafficking. She has an awesome book. Her book, From Traffic to Treasure, reflects her passion to reach out to survivors, lend understanding to their family and friends, and light a fire in others to help in the fight against sex trafficking in all forms. As a female pastor, Kelly doesn't bend to anything that opposes her belief in a sovereign God based on her experiences of supernatural interventions and encounters with a relational God. Her tenacity to see others free keeps her pushing through the most difficult obstacles, which she learned from climbing her way up and out of sex slavery. Kelly has also traveled to hostile and distant areas to carry her message of freedom. Kelly also lived a portion of her life on a Native American reservation. I also did too. Uh, So I really think this is awesome that she has 11 a call in her life to help the Native people in the USA. So let's welcome Kelly. So good afternoon, Kelly. And welcome to my show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Michelle. Thank you. Great. So what do you enjoy the most about sharing your story with others? Well, um, in the beginning, it was a difficult decision. So it took me literally decades to decide to come public with it. Because, you know, some of it's based on fear 
of how you'll be perceived, especially going into this as a female pastor, you already are up against certain things in society. And also just a concern and care for my family's safety is something my family and I first prayed together. And then I prayed with my church and we all felt that God was really calling me to go forward because when you have suffered something, what purpose does it serve if you just keep the healing that you receive to yourself? If I can't share and somehow help someone else through something similar, then that suffering was for no purpose. Amen. That's so true. And I, I really think just by sharing your story with others of redemption, there's so much healing that you get yourself too. Several years ago, I was looking for a support group and I didn't find anything. And I was in my own misery over 20 years ago. And I decided the only thing I could do is to start a support group. So I took every issue that I knew I myself was dealing with, and I began to research it in the Word of God and formed a, and actually in the night, in my sleep, I received an outline from the Lord, exactly which topics to cover and in what order. And I began a support group that is going to culminate, hopefully this year yet, into a workbook and facilitator manual for survivors of sex trafficking, but also of any kind of sexual abuse or assault. And they can then take that and formulate their own support groups, or they can just work through it on their own if they're not located where they can link up with others. But in doing so, as I reached out to help others, I came out of myself and out of my pain. And there again, it brought um, gems, if I can say, into that treasure box of suffering, because that's what God showed me was sitting before his throne was a treasure box. And when I asked him what it was, he said, that is the box full of your suffering. And it was the most beautiful treasure box I have ever seen. Is that the one that's on your picture um, that you share on Facebook? Well, I couldn't, I, I couldn't accurately find the treasure box I saw. We did the best to find one and um, put it on there. Yeah, that's why it's on the cover, but it's not even close. Oh, wow. It uh, sounds just so beautiful, and I love the depiction. So thank you for sharing that. That is really, really amazing. So, well, so as I... Uh, on my show, I typically start out with my guests a question, a very profound question. And I'd like to begin this with how your human trafficking survivor God story began. So from your perspective, how did it begin? And I know it's broad and I know there's probably lots of many stories. So just, you know, where God, you know, can uh, work through your, your words, but um, how did how did this how did this story begin? It's actually relatively easy for me to to share where, and that's because of the nature of the type of sex trafficking 
in the Midwest and the heartland, but I, I know it's a notion or a nationwide issue. There is what is called ring trafficking. And ring trafficking is something, you know, there's Romeo trafficking, there's familial trafficking, there's gang, you know, motorcycle club trafficking, organ trafficking, labor trafficking, on and on. With ring trafficking, in particularly related to sexual trafficking, they are very organized. I define ring trafficking as criminal organizations involving several linked people in various locations that are involved in sex trafficking. Because of the nature of that beast, they generally try to get to children while they're young. I was living in rural America and very small communities all over our state and the surrounding states in the Midwest and the heartland. And ring trafficking is like a a dark underbelly in every community. And the reason I say every community is because my family moved frequently as I was a child. In fact, you mentioned reservations. That was one of the only locations along with a boarding school that we lived in where the ring did not get to me. That is no longer the case now. That is no longer the case now as we know ring trafficking has hit the reservations big time. I have worked with many individuals who have been ring trafficked on the reservations today. But when I was trafficked, they had not yet been, I don't know, received or able to hide. I'm not sure which. My earliest memory of sexual abuse was age four by someone close to the family. I'm not certain if they were a part of the ring or not. I'm starting to get a few memories a little earlier, unfortunately, that were not this person. So I'm beginning to question the actual age when I was involved. But I have a very clear memory at age six of being introduced to the ring in the community we were living in when they brought me into a room. The man in charge was a neighbor and a good friend of the family. And they passed me around this group of men being very tender but sexual. I know for certain the ring had me by that age. And in small town America, you let you let your children run. People keep their doors unlocked and their cars unlocked. Everybody knows everybody. Children run the street. You leave school and you know you're just expected to show up for dinner. So there's a lot of time between when school gets out and by the time you're expected to be home for dinner for a ring to have time with you. And that I'm not saying that happened every day by any means. There's no way to know how often in my memory, you know, you think back to being that young. I just know it happened a lot. I, I still have memories coming to the surface and then I have to deal with them as they come. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming that you've probably worked through this in terms of healing with counselors. I myself am a childhood cult survivor, and there was some sexual exploitation that occurred as a result of what I endured. I mean, without the counseling I had, I don't think I would have, you know, been able to identify it as sexual abuse. You know, it's a very confusing thing, right, for a young child. Um, to go through that and trying to process that. So I'm assuming that's probably 
Yeah. Um, and I don't say this for everyone, but I just happen to have incredible training and trainers in Christ-centered inner healing. So healing prayer, basically. And I have found nothing to work as well as that. I have utilized some traditional therapy, but really the the Christ-centered inner healing is just the best. And it takes you leaps and bounds ahead of what mankind can do when you have the Lord himself healing you and taking you to the source of, of issues. But absolutely, it's confusing. At age six, the ring told me that first day, that first memory that I have, the men said to me, you're too sexy. We can't help ourselves. And that immediately put the onus on me. And my parents didn't have a clue. Not a clue. I didn't tell. Were you involved? I mean, at least what I understood, you, you, you climbed out of this. But I mean, was this going on through, you know, your teen years and on up? Oh, yes. Uh, by age nine is my first memory of being put in pornographic films. And that was in a different community. The ring was there as well. We even moved in and out of state a couple of times. And I was shocked because I thought I was escaping the long arms and the long reach, so to speak, of the ring, only to find out they were nearly everywhere I moved, with the exception of the reservation, which was my reprieve. Well, I was just before my eighth grade year, I was getting really rebellious because of what was happening to me. But unfortunately, that's the age that we often look at children and we think, oh, this is just natural teenage rebellion, which is what my parents thought. But instead, of course, I was rebelling against what they were doing to me. And I was saying to them, I'm not showing up. They had threatened me most of my life that they would abuse my, you know, they would get my sister. They had her name and that was my baby sister. There was no way I was going to allow that. And I was already defiled. So why not allow them to have me instead of her, was my thinking, as well as they had threatened my family. So, and there was some cult involvement that there always is when you deal with this kind of thing, because you've got people of all different oddities involved. You've got people with their quirks, things get real weird. Sex trafficking in general has so much abuse that they're beginning to refer to some of it as ritual abuse. I have to concur that there is that. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's so hard to explain. And, and I just appreciate you being so open about this. And I know, you know, God knew this, that you would be in this place and you, were, you would be sharing this. So I just pray. Yes, just great healing over your heart and over all things, because I know I did not endure what you endured, but what little I did endure is very hard to process and to deal with. So I know that during this period of time when this this was happening, you must have had some exposure to God is is was your family religious in that way or to go to church or when when did god come into your story well that's a that's a great story as well i it has sim- so many nuances 
And that is why I actually have a chapter in my book that's titled, Where Was God? Because that is the issue I want people to really face. Even those that call themselves atheists, generally, they're just really angry at God. And I always say, you know, that's something we have to walk through. We have to face it. We have to be real with it. It's not like he doesn't know already. And I attempt and hope, even in the support group that we have going to help people deal with that and work through that. And that's one of the challenges in this situation. My parents were not Christians. Uh, There was a, a number of major events in our life, the biggest one being I dad was in a plane crash, was in fifth grade, and he had severe brain damage. He did have a near-death experience, but he was terribly messed up for the next three years. And my mother had gone to a Billy Graham crusade, and she had rededicated her life to Christ, apparently had been saved as a small child, and began to pray for my dad. Well, the person who located their plane because it had gone down in some snow was actually a backslidden pastor who came back to the Lord because as a result of this plane wreck. And it was the first known nosedive spin-in in the United States where both people in the plane survived. It, so that had a huge impact on our family. And, you know, dad was had a lot of healing to do. He didn't even know who we were. He lost all the years of having been married, having children, he has never regained that time span. He had to be reintroduced to us. And for me, I wasn't about to add anything more to our family. Even once I hit that rebellious age and and really I was rebelling against the ring. And I just want to throw in that you rebel against them. They punish you in ways that are unspeakable. And they made sure to get their point across, don't ever say no again. That was in eighth grade. The same time, my dad decided to check that pastor out since he had saved his life and went to church and got saved that first Sunday. So my entire family got saved except me. I was just too angry, too broken. You know, I was curious about God, but I was so upset. So to, I don't want to take the whole time up. There was a lot that happened in between, a lot of moving. When I went to boarding school, it was a Christian boarding school. I went there in a couple of years of high school, well, a year and a half. The first year I got saved. So I was 16. I got saved. I'm safe at the boarding school. I had been safe prior to that on the reservation. And I had the belief that meant nothing bad was going to happen to me now. The summer between my junior and sophomore year, my parents moved to Michigan. And while in Michigan, two days into being there, the ring found me. Well, they had me. They knew where I was. They forced me to sneak out at night to meet with tricks. And my anger turned against God and all authority, honestly. Here, my parents were there to to learn to be missionaries. And I had committed my life to Christ, and I was still under the under the ring. By the time we moved back at the end of that summer, I went to boarding school, but I had such an attitude, I got kicked out. And that sent me, unbeknownst to everyone, my parents moved to the to the very city where the hub of the ring in our state was. 
And of course, no one could know that. At 17 years of age, I'm a senior in high school. I got kicked out of the boarding school. I wasn't any fun for my parents either. And they didn't understand what was going on with me. And I was impossible for them to live with, honestly. And they kicked me out as well in my senior year. The moment they kicked me out at age 17, the ring now had 24-7 control of my life. A ring operates in a way that everything has to look okay. You have to show up to family events. So if there was a holiday, I showed up. If there were, you know, graduations or anything like that, I showed up. Because the whole thing about a ring is secrecy. So were they still threatening you? Were they threatening you? Like if you were to go to the police or... Well, here's the bad part, the the even worse part. They had already told me that law enforcement was my enemy. But in this city, I had only been in the city a day. My, literally the first day I decided to check the city out, the community out. And I went walking downtown and two police officers picked me up and it turned out they were my handlers in this community. So when did you actually get out of this? How How did you get out of this? From 17 to nearly age 22, they had me. And once you're no longer under the the cover of your parents' home, they then begin to incorporate torture. I recently did a survey with some women who go to the UN. uh, They work on humanitarian issues. And I did a survey with them and chatted with them a bit. And out of 48 torture techniques that are known, um, I, there were only four that I have not had, and I actually added some to their list. Because the ring begins to use that torture to silence you, so I tried many a times to escape and was unsuccessful, and then the punishment was so horrific that just at about age 22, I was still 21, I, I literally just gave up. I thought, I'm going to die in this. And of course, I had no idea that only 1% survived, but I had seen myself and others beaten to a pulp. And I'm thinking, I'm just not going to survive it. And I literally thought, well, the the torture after attempting to leave isn't worthwhile. And I, I gave up, but I had already lost two babies to this and I was pregnant again. And I lost that third baby because of how violent they are. That just broke me. And I just was like, whether they kill me or not, I've got to try again. I have got to escape. And at that point, I almost—I just really didn't care if I lived or died as much as I've got to get away one way or another, death or freedom. So I did devise a plan and this one actually worked. I escaped to the West Coast with no notice. My boss was actually part of the ring and had... I went and applied for another position under under him that was higher pay, but it was a seasonal job. And, uh, and of course, they assumed I'd stay the entire season. I took the job for two weeks, knowing that I would have enough money to take off. And it's a much longer story than that. But when I escaped to the West Coast, the ring had me briefly, even there. I was in Oregon. But I met these amazing, crazy Christians living in a communal situation. And I moved in with them and they with us, it was kind of mutual and they had my back. But more than that, 
they introduced me to, to something I had never heard. They said, because I just had a lot of legalistic beliefs. I was under so much law in what I thought Christianity was. And they said, why don't you just take your Bible and read the book of Acts and the books of Corinthians? Do not take anything you've ever learned into account, lay it all down and ask the Lord to teach you. So I began to read and I just was starving for it. I was terrified of the Holy Spirit. But when I read this, I began to see a pattern and I thought, these gifts are for today. I want these. I want the Holy Spirit in a bigger way, but I was still, I was afraid. So I wrote to Billy Graham and I asked Billy Graham's ministry, what does Billy Graham teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they sent me back the most beautiful, simple to understand teaching I have ever heard. I use it to this day. It said, when you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your cup and fills it to the top. When you are prayed over to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, your cup runs over. And I loved that. It was so simple. It wasn't frightening to me. And I thought, I can do this. So the people in this home prayed over me. You have to understand at this time, they used so many drugs on me during that. One of the misnomers out there is it is drug-seeking people that end up trafficked, but it's almost always the opposite. They force you to get addicted to drugs. They were feeding me so many drugs that I looked at a journal of mine from back then and was horrified at how often I used really heavy drugs. And they often force-fed them to me to where I had no memory of events. So my brain was really fried. It was like I was walking around in a fog. I mean, I could do my job, I could go to work, but I was not all there. And in the moment, the very second that they prayed over me to be filled with the Spirit, to stir up the gifts, in that instant, this fog lifted. My brain was back and it was in perfect working order. That fog has been gone ever since. The desire for drugs has never come back. Alcohol, nothing. I was just about 22 years old and I have never looked back. And they never got their hands on me again. When you had climbed out of this through the help of the Holy Spirit and the prayer over you and moving forward in your life, what were kind of the next steps? Did you get involved in a church? In Oregon, actually, I got introduced to uh, the Calvary chapels at that time. And, you know, they they were Jesus freaks and (laughs) just, um, I loved their music. There wasn't anything like that, you know, back home in South Dakota. And so I was attending there and I got pregnant. Now I was with my first husband at the time who unbeknownst to me was involved with the ring. I wasn't aware of that at the time. And when I got pregnant, I wanted to be where my parents were. I wanted to be back where my family was. So we moved back to a different part of the state in South Dakota. And I was babysitting for a couple for a while when I learned that I, and I was babysitting on Wednesday nights and I was going to a different church and I, and I'd been praying for two things. 
God, I want Christian music in this city. And God, I want a Calvary Chapel. And <laughs> the, the one Wednesday night, I said, what are you guys doing anyway when I babysit for you? I said, oh, we're starting a Calvary Chapel. <laughs> so I uh, started attending their church instead of babysitting. <laughs> and uh, it just so happened at the same time, he was starting the first Christian radio in our state in his house. Talk about God connections. Right? I was raised up in that church for a number of years, and I was taught so many wonderful things there. But I had a divine encounter that absolutely jettisoned my healing forward by miles. And I was, I was real new to the Lord, but I, one night, I was wide awake, and I was just praying when I heard this wind come up and these chimes and it was, it was in my house. It was so beautiful and musical. And then I heard my name and I thought, I, you know, nothing in your mind grasps that this is a supernatural occurrence. So I, you know, checked on my then husband, I checked on my children. And of course my children were toddler and a baby. They, they couldn't have said my name that way anyway, but just my brain couldn't figure out what was going on. And I thought, this is, this is something supernatural, but I went back to sleep, or to sleep, I should say. And the next night, the same thing happened. The wind, the music, and my name. So I called my Calvary Chapel pastor the next morning, and I said, what was that? He said, do you know the story of Samuel? I said, no. So he told me where it was, and he told me I needed to go read it. And he says, then do what Samuel did tonight. So I sat up thinking, there is no way God's coming to me tonight because I had searched my whole life to believe that God loved me and nothing in my experience proved that he did. So I I was certain he's not coming tonight either, you know? And I sat there ready though to, to answer the way Samuel did when the music came up and the wind, you know, the chimes and the music, the wind, and the voice of the Lord came, but I didn't have to say anything because he kept saying my name over and over and over. And as he spoke it, it got more intense. And it wasn't just my name, it had a feeling. And I began to feel engulfed in his love and wrapped in it. And the more he said my name, the more certain of his love I was. And then he ended with this. He said, Kelly, don't have fear. I love you. Now, I was a pretty new believer. I ran to the mirror to see if, like Moses, you know, my hair and my eyebrows were white. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's so awesome, Kelly. It's so amazing because I couldn't sleep at night. I had so much fear. And I didn't know the scripture about perfect love casts out fear. I called my pastor and he told me about that scripture. And I was forever changed. I have never doubted God's love since that day, not once. He is such a personal God that he does this for each person. He knows how to work with us, right? How to stir us, how to get our attention. He knows what we need. And that was the way he needed to manifest his love to you. He knew what I had been through. 
He knew the depth of my unbelief and my fear. He knew that nothing, I had read every scripture on his love. I'd heard every sermon. I, you know, I repeated them over and over to myself. He knew there was only one way to get through my broken heart. Yes. This is why I do this show. This is why I do this show. So I just really, really am so, so just grateful that uh, God now, you know, has healed you through it. I mean, I'm sure now you want to give back. So that leads me to the next question. And then we'll be wrapping up here soon. But you're out there to glorify God in how he healed you and how he brought you through this. And you, of course, have your book uh, out there. You've got a Facebook page. It's on Amazon. We'll be putting the link out uh, on our website and um, we'll be making sure that, you know, our listeners uh, can be directed to where that information is. Can you share a little bit more with my listeners on some other things that maybe you're doing to bring awareness? I'll try to make this very brief and I, I can't give any details, but there is a, a, a very, my, my literally favorite actor. I got to autograph my book for him because it was requested. I got to autograph it for a very famous producer because he requested it from my publisher. They have done a movie together in the past, but neither one knew that they had requested my book. So my publisher told the producer, and he said he was going to be certain to get a hold of this actor. And that excites me because they're both believers. That may occur, and that would be another way to really get the message of hope out. And that is why I do interviews. That is why I talk. I'm wanting to educate the public, but I also know this. If I can get unsaved people or wounded individuals to purchase my book, it's full of prayers. It's, it's got scripture in it. It's got healing messages. And I've tried to do it in a way that it won't offend or turn off a non-believer. And I have not had any unbeliever tell me they were angry about the scriptures or the prayers. They've thanked me. So that, that is one method. But also, I am, I'm in such a lovely season with the Lord, a, a season of favor that I've never known. I have become good friends with the governor of our state. She is a beautiful woman of God, and she is undertaking quite a lot of things. She held the first church service in our capital in our history, and it was an amazing church service. But I have her ear, not because of who I am, but before she was a governor, she was a senator, and she was already a part of introducing many of the anti-trafficking bills that have passed in D.C. And so she already had a heart for this. So it's, it's just all God's timing. And our attorney general has become a friend, and he has a heart to battle trafficking as well. And I've become friends with law enforcement in the community, and we're working together. And many of them all have read my book. I've been invited to help train law enforcement on a very large scale level in our state. And most recently, I got to testify. I was the only one to testify on a bill 
which we passed in our state. In fact, I got the pen that the governor signed the bill with. And, and that to me, it's, it's hitting so many areas where it's that time in my life to make a difference. And I see that everything before was seasoning. Can I read my favorite scripture regarding this? It's Second um, Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3 through 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Praise God. That's my life's and And that's so appropriate for as we move forward in wrapping up. Because the question I had was, what words do you have for other women? Because this this is a, a Christian women's ministry, and we, of course, do evangelistic outreach to women across the world from all cultures. And also our hope and prayer is for women, whether you're churched or unchurched, believer or not, to, you know, be exposed to the, these types of stories, which... I see every woman's story as a sermon. Okay. So, you know, that's how I view this because, you know, that's how I see it. But for those women today who are out there, Kelly, and they may be part of a ring and they're listening because there's a God ordainment for it. Or there might be a struggling woman who came, has come out of sexual assault, sexual abuse, you know, just exploitation for, you know, those that have kept it inside, but they're doubting who God is and his love for them, kind of like where you were. And they just don't, they feel trapped. What, what would you recommend for, for these women, you know, to get, you know, places for support or help or, you know, from your perspective? You can find my Facebook page. My public one is by the same name as my book, From Trafficked to Treasured. You are always welcome, always to contact me. You can private message me and I get back to you real quick. I have an email. You can email me, lifetreasure7 at gmail.com. And it's the number seven. And I have a phone number. I don't mind giving this out as well. 605-381-4867. But you don't have to just contact me. There's another organization I highly recommend for survivors of sex trafficking. I'll start there. And that is called Rebecca Bender Initiative. It is a God-centered, incredible school for those who have escaped, have survived, but you know you're stuck. You know you're hurting. You need help. Maybe you aren't located anywhere near where there are people to reach out to. Most states now have human trafficking task forces. You can generally call your law enforcement and ask about those. 
and they will connect you to whatever is going on in the state to get help. And you can remain anonymous by calling in. There are generally organizations, at least one to two in every state, if not several, that work with survivors of sex trafficking. If it's sexual abuse and sexual assault, there are many support groups in nearly almost any community. I highly recommend uh, uh, one more ministry I would like to plug is called Freedom Encounters out of Boise, Idaho. Phenomenal organization for any kind of trauma and also um, any kind of cult abuse. I guess my biggest thing is, is don't stop looking for help. Don't stay stuck and don't stay alone in it. Reach out because staying alone, what generally happens is you get so wrapped up in the darkness of it and the thoughts or else you go numb and you just try to pretend it never happened. But what's happening is when it's undealt with, there's gangrene growing on the inside. You've put a Band-Aid over a poisonous infection. And I'm a big believer in letting God get into that infection and clean it out. It's the only way to grow. And you know, none of us is done until the day we are face-to-face with our Lord. We all just have different levels of healing. I just... I just went through four days of horrendous flashbacks and flashbacks are different than nightmares because you, you really, you're awake and you're reliving it and you are back in time. It's a long process out, but you don't have to be perfectly healed to reach out, to help others, to be a voice. That's my other plug because we're always looking for voices. You can be healed. That's right. and. I appreciate, again, Kelly, your time, your willingness to come on our show. Um, What a blessing this has been, this time with you. And I know God's going to continue to guide you and um, be with you as you move forward in glorifying Him in your healing. And I would like to now uh, just go ahead and wrap up and share with my listeners that Remember that God will always turn your brokenness into something beautiful and new. And until our next show, remember, be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a new nonprofit evangelistic talk show for women. Our ministry is located in Overland Park, Kansas. And if you enjoyed listening to today's show, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of everyday women too. So why don't you share the link to our podcast on your social media? And we welcome your feedback. So let us know what you think. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories. We welcome your tax-exempt financial donations. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, log on to our website, alteredstories.org. That's alteredstories.org.